0: I don't. I don't know if I'm going to be able to bring up the same indignant rage that I normally bring to these podcasts. I just came back from a float. How was it? It was enlightening. Have you ever, Have you ever done it, it before? or No. I've only done it once before. Okay. And uh, and this this time I went in a little under the influence, <laughs> and um, and it, it was it was nice, man. It was uh. You know, I, at first I went in with like an intent. I was like, "All right, I'm, I'm gonna focus on, I'm gonna focus on my activism. I'm gonna focus on my art. I'm gonna focus on something." And, you know, eventually I, I just realized that kind of like actively um, relaxing is kind of its own thing, and we don't really get to do it often.
1: True, true. Uh, it's been on my list for a while. There was. Uh... This horror show—I can't remember the name—but where where a character did it, and that's when I first found out about float floating. And I was like, "That looks pretty cool," but I haven't gotten to it with the pandemic and everything.
0: Yeah, well, well, so so we went. Um, the only people who were there were the people who were working there. I guess they're they're uh, stretching out their their like appointments um, right, right. or something. So it was only it was only a couple people working there. I went. We went in, and um. Once you go into the room, like everything is like cleaned in between um, and that's pretty much it. So I felt good about that because like, I just, I don't know, there's other things that people say is safe to do and I don't feel good about them, so I won't fucking do right. that, but
1: yeah, this one I was... I guess my one question is like, do they change out the water or something like, you know, how does that, how does that work?
0: I'm pretty sure they do. You could check, you could check out their website. I'll give it to you off mic. Um, but I mean, I think they did that before. Right, right, the right. pandemic
1: anyway. Yeah, I mean, I would hope fucking so. Gross. It's just like
0: I would hope so too. Imagine the ther- the therapeutic part is just that you um, bathe in other people's skin. You bathe in other people's dead skin. So. <laughs> Yo, Hannibal would love that shit. Oh my god, he really would. Be, he's like, oh, all this water around and not a drop to to eat because it's actually full of uh, salt. That's how you maintain the flotation. Uh-huh. So yeah, it makes your body very, very buoyant. And uh, they have music that you can put on if right. you want, or you can just press the button to turn it off. They have lights from below and from above. Did it's you, like you just got the Soul Stone and you're being reborn. Did
1: you and your wife do it in separate rooms? Or like, how does that work? Or Can you do it together? Yeah,
0: she went into she went into her own, I went into mine. Okay. Yeah, basically like you you enter, there's like an area for you to put your clothing and stuff, <laughs> then there's a shower area.
1: To enter, only and, one, um, exits. <laughs> two enter, one,
0: one exit. To enter, one exit. Uh, We both battle it out within the flotation (laughs) device. That sounds fucking awesome. (laughs) Yeah, it's like Thunderdome, but it's Thunderfloat. Ooh. And then, like, you get to shower beforehand if you want, and then there's, like, basically a door in the wall that you open up, and that's where the pod is, and Mm -hmm. you just go in there. The water's, like, nice and heated, and you just fucking lay down. And um, and it seems, I don't know, like, you don't know what to do with yourself, but at some point you just kind of get into it, and you're like... All right, this is nice. And then once you leave, you just feel so like almost relaxed. too relaxed yeah. in a way. It's, yeah, it's, it's, like it's ridiculous.
1: But like, can you turn the lights on or leave? Or I mean, can you leave the lights on or turn them off? Do you have the option or is it? Yes, yeah, you do you have do. the option. Okay, okay. So yeah.
0: just, like in, uh, just like in 2003's Daredevil, you can go full Matt Murdock. <laughs> and, uh, Did you? And just. Uh, and just turn on. i did i did for for a good portion of it yeah and then i started experimenting with like all right what if i turn these lights on what if i turn those lights oh, on that's and cool then, um at one point i sat up because they have lights under the water too and i just started like playing with the bubbles in the water like because they weren't really bubbles because there's no soap but like there's i guess little areas where like there's bubbles on the floor and you can like disturb them with your hands and
1: I told you. I said I was on the influence, right? Yeah, I, need, yeah, I need people yeah, not me
0: yeah. right now. Is it weird but that um, I watched
1: this horror show and, like, he almost gets murdered in the pool? And I was like, fuck, that looks really fun. Like, I want to go in there.
0: <laughs> You're like, oh.
1: I, I started looking it up. I was, like, Googling it, finding places near me. I'm like, I'm like mm, man, maybe I could get murdered in that. That sounds great. If <laughs> <laughs> you play your cards right there. Yeah, right? Um, but, uh,
0: but yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty cool. They didn't, D, this time they didn't have the kaleidoscopes, right? I guess so people wouldn't touch them. Last time we went, they did offer a mimosa afterwards, but uh, yeah, last time uh, we went, before we were in the apocalypse, they had, uh, like, kaleidoscopes and shit, because it is is very similar to being high, like, in a way that you just, like, kind of shut out everything else and you just get to be with yourself, Yeah. and so, like, you're just very introspective, and so they used to have kaleidoscopes, (laughs) you could just look at dude. just look at the colors and the patterns and stuff and you were totally about it
1: man i get my best ideas in the shower so i can only imagine what kind of ideas i would get in there honestly similar premise yeah that, that's pretty much yeah. it. <laughs> well i'm glad you're relaxed uh i i am definitely ready to rage against the dying of the light so um i'll try to Fuck bring yeah, that for dude. the both of us
0: that's what we're gonna do that's right i want you to i want you to bring it i want you to, to bring that rage um, I would like to say that I'm bringing a new review into the podcast this week, but unfortunately not, we don't have any other ones, but if you want to have your podcast right at the top of the show, all you have to do is go to Apple podcast, leave us a review. And if you'd like, we will read it at the top of the show and call and, uh, not call you out, but shout you out. Yeah. So thank you so much. It can much. be
1: short, you know, and to the point, don't feel like you got to write a whole lot, but it would definitely be appreciated.
0: Yeah. And, uh, that being said, what I will bring to you is the theme. You ready for it, Ty? Oh, I've, I'm ready. All right, theme song, come on in. Welcome back to the Politipop podcast, the podcast where we take your favorite pop culture media and discuss the social and political themes within. I am your co-host Mike Booch, aka the Soyboy Pseudo Intellectual, aka Comrade Booch, and as always in the second seat is my amazing co-host Ty. Hey, what's up? Great to have you on, as always, Ty. I was about to be like, "Great to have you on the podcast, <laughs> yeah. dude." I should start taking you for granted. That's what I really need to do. You really should. You really should. Just be like, "Fuck you, Ty." Bring up that clip. You're like, "It's not a video." Oh, great, you're here again. I'm like, God. God damn it. Yeah, exactly. Oh, Ty's back again for, to fucking record with me. Um, but for you, the listeners, it's great to have you back. If you are watching on YouTube, make sure that you like the video, subscribe to the page, um, leave us a review, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast. If you, uh, you know, if you want other people to listen to us, uh, find us on social media if you'd like. Uh, just search up the Politipop podcast. All right. But um, more importantly, we are coming to our third stop. On the Black History Month Spotlight Express on the Politipop podcast. That's right. Uh, Last week we had Malcolm X. The week before we had One Night in Miami. This week we are reviewing Warner Brothers, uh, HBO Max's, and Warner Brothers, I guess. They don't have the rights, (laughs) but it's being streamed on HBO Max. You could watch it now if you have that. Um, We are reviewing Judas and the Black Messiah. But I have another treat for everyone. Not only are we reviewing this movie... This is not just a regular day where we have one and a half white guys talking about issues regarding people of color. That's right. We have a very special guest with us today. She is a native New Yorker, the daughter of two badass immigrant parents who has been working in social services and advocacy for over 10 years. She understands how systematic racism shows up in this field and in mental health, and now works in private practice as a therapist aimed at supporting and educating clients from a decolonized and holistic lens. She likes to buy unnecessary things at flea markets, inhale bags of ripple chips, well who doesn't, and make to-do lists she never actually finishes. Please, everybody at home, put your hands together for my sister from another mister, my, my cousin, mi prima, please give it up for Monica Gavilanis. I'll, I'll, I'll throw yeah. in an applause and post. Uh, Monica, how you doing?
2: I'm doing well.
0: How are you? Hi, Mikey. Hey, oh fuck! You're the only one who has ever called me that, and now it's out there. Everybody knows. That's it. adorable. I'm calling it that from now on. Oh on boy, oh boy, oh boy! I, I immediately <laughs> regret this decision, but it's uh, but it's awesome to, to to have you on. Did you have any AKAs? Uh,
2: just Moni, honestly. That's
0: All right, you're gonna be you're gonna be sister slash comrade, Moni. You're gonna be my comrade today. Gotcha. Now, now as we as we as we move forward into into reviewing this film and the different themes within it that that are that are still present today in our world, I wanna ask each of you, what did you expect from this film? Mani, let's start let's start with you.
2: <laughs> I never expect <laughs> much uh in regards to real authenticity when it comes to Hollywood films.
0: That's good. It's a good start, good mindset.
2: Yeah, I figured um, we wouldn't get what I would hope to see in regards to a Fred Hampton story. So I kind of went in with some hesitation. And yeah, that's where I'll leave it for now.
0: Good. I guess we'll find out as we move forward where those expectations fell uh, for all of us. What about what about you, Ty? What, what were you uh, thinking you'd see going into this?
1: Um, I got almost exactly what I was expecting. Uh, you know based on the trailers and what I'd read about it I did read some reviews beforehand too uh I you know I was hoping we'd get a little bit more um about Fred Hampton prior to to these events that are discussed in the film but I I do think they they discuss some some things uh such as socialism and communism more than I I thought they would be allowed to to be honest with you so uh but yeah I got mainly what I was expecting
0: yeah so uh I was I guess I was actually a mix of of both of you, um, because I I did have some hesitations, and this is going to sound a little bit problematic. You gotta hear me out. One of them was that uh we have Daniel Kaluuya in in the role of this prominent African American hero. And it, this wasn't an original thought, I'll admit that. This actually came from Sam Jackson back when uh Kaluya had his breakout role with Get Out. And um and he said, like, I don't think a British actor should be playing an African-American role. Like, you can't necessarily bring the same amount of uh, of intensity or you know we've talked a lot this month about trauma um, or just in general we talk about trauma on this podcast but like how how can how can a, a, a British actor bring bring that to a very American experience and I was I was I was thinking about that before I get to my conclusion to that did did either of you feel
1: anything similar or was it was it just me being the dick uh honestly i didn't know he was british before uh <laughs> last night when my girl we were watching him. my girl and i was like i was like man he's so good in like all these different roles and my girlfriend's like yeah well, you know he's british right i'm like i was like what <laughs> i looked them up his parents are from uganda but he uh yeah he, he's british and i was like oh so uh prior to seeing the movie i didn't know that so i had a different opinion i guess monica you have an issue or no
2: I don't necessarily have an issue, I guess coming from more like a pan Africanism kind of lens, like I get why people have that argument, like, you know, the African American experience is very unique. But just thinking about him being a black man from London, I think um, there's a lot of places he can pull from that would bring up similar sentiments. so i didn't necessarily have an issue but i I'm, I'm not going to like disagree against that argument i'm just looking at it in a different way i guess
0: yeah like i find myself on on this with a lot of issues that like oh well i kind of have my opinion but i very well know that that opinion could be changed by somebody who has a much more personal experience with that thing like i'm not holding true to anything um just like how you know a lot of times i will you know we'll both say like we might be reviewing something that has something to do with a woman's experience or, or more importantly, a woman of color's experience. And I'm like, it's not
1: my place to say how to feel about about this one right, thing. Right. But um, I mean, it is written and directed by by a black man. Right. So I feel like he you know, they picked the best person that they found for for the role. You know, I, I do believe that.
0: Yeah. Uh, I, I actually wanted to see what his response was to, to Sam Jackson. Uh, there's an article in variety of course we'll link to it in the show notes as we do with everything uh but uh but he you know he spoke out and he said i resent that i have to prove that i'm black in order to prove that i can play this role i have to open up about the trauma that i've experienced as a black person i have to show off my struggle so that people accept that i'm black and he later goes on to say uh he says he says i'm dark skinned bro when i'm around black people i'm made to feel other because i'm dark skinned I, I've had to wrestle with that with people going, You're too black. Then I come to America and they say you're not black enough. I go to Uganda, I can't speak the language. In India, I'm black. In the black community, I'm dark skinned. In America, I'm British. Like, so yes. it's not too different from, you know, let's say somebody sees the role that I'm gonna be recording this year and then comes out online saying, I shouldn't be playing a Latino man because I'm too white. Like, that's very much the same thing. And so I was like, huh. Um, I guess I'll shut the fuck up about, about that thought that that Sam Jackson put there. But yeah, I haven't I haven't seen a lot from Shaka King, who was the director of this. But uh, but that name has come up. I think Kevin Smith spoofed it in one of his movies. Uh, Ryan Coogler was on the production team. We know that that he's done a Black Panther, Creed, um, Fruitvale Station, I think too. Uh, nice. We have we have uh we have Lakeith Stanfield, who I the first time I saw him was also in Get Out. Since then, he's done a he did Sorry to Bother You. Are we going to be doing that next next month, or do we do we decide we're not, Ty? Um, I think it, it would be a solid choice. Why not? I haven't seen okay, it. Okay, great. But, All uh... right, so we'll so we'll add that to next month. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I explain it more. I will explain it more in next week's episode <laughs> uh, <laughs> regarding our choice to show black stories that aren't rooted in being victimized. Uh, but that's 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 for next month. We have uh, Dominique Fishback, who she was in The Hate You Give. I don't necessarily remember her role in that in that film. Um, but I, I had this thought going through my head at the beginning where I was like, I was like, wow, I really enjoy the body positivity that they're not just showing all skinny people or all like, you know, completely shredded people. And, uh, and in my mind, for some reason, I thought Dominique Fishback was, was a little thicker. But like when I watched this movie or I started watching it a second time, I realized she just has a round face. Um, but I was, I was like, she seems to actually be, you know, pretty petite, except for the round face. And obviously the, you know, the pregnancy padding they put on, they put on her later. You know, this, this is quite the creative team. We're not seeing just a team of white people that are producing a film about black history. Although you could yeah. argue it comes from uh, kind of a white lens. The way that we're going into this today is we're going to be reviewing these characters and their places in the story. And, and we'll, we'll go from there, um, that being said, there is a spoiler warning in full effect right now. So please look outside your windows. Make sure your windshield wipers are up. We have spoilers coming through. Uh, detailed plot spoilers. So if you have not yet watched Judas and the Black Messiah, please do it and then and then listen to this podcast. But with that out of the way,
1: Ty, how about you give him the plot? Judas and the Black Messiah, the story of Fred Hampton, chairman of the Illinois Black Panther Party, and his faithful portrayal by FBI informant William O'Neill.
0: That actually plays into what I expected going going into it as well. And I think for me, it was just I wanted to trick racists into watching this movie on Facebook. That's what it was, because there (laughs) are so many people who are like, you know, posting on ads and they're like, why am I seeing this? I don't want to see something that's going to sow um, division among us. And this is hateful and they're terrorists and blah, blah, blah. And, like, I'm kind of past the point of just going to people and telling them, like, you're wrong, you're stupid, shut up, blah, 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 because I'm not changing anyone's mind that way. Um, and I'm probably not changing these people's minds anyway, but, you know, different approach. There are people I'm like, well, this actually shows the story of uh, from the FBI perspective. So, uh, so how about you You watch it for that and blah, blah, blah. And turns out I was a little more correct than I thought, and I'm kind of disheartened by that. How did, how did you feel about that, Ty? About seeing it through the FBI? perspective or yeah at the beginning you said you were expecting something sim like well you didn't i'm putting words in your mouth i'm paraphrasing but like when we reviewed malcolm x last week we got his life story we got a biopic and i mean they they didn't
1: advertise this though as fred hampton's life story so that's that's why i got what i expected it's about the betrayal you know, um, they, they show the, the influence Fred Hampton was having on the people of Chicago. Um, I think they did a really good job portraying him. But, you know, this really is about that betrayal by William O'Neill uh, and, and how it came about. So I think they, they told the story that they said they were going to tell. Um, so, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, I wasn't really surprised by it by by any means.
0: I tried to do some research beforehand. I don't know what I'm saying I tried. I succeeded in doing some research beforehand. <laughs> I and, just couldn't get you it. Know. I just couldn't do it. Yeah, learning more about Fred Hampton and how, like, even in high school, his activism started, and he was able to help, like, bring changes to his school. And I was a little disappointed that this this was very much um about you know Bill O'Neill's perspective, whether you know whether or not you know there are people who who agree with that. That that's that's my opinion to a d- to it. a degree.
1: To a degree, yeah. I mean, I I I do think they re- they showed the. The effect Fred was, you know, Fred Hampton was having on the people, right? And they showed, you know, how unifying he was. They they did not portray him in a bad light at all. And I think it was about the tragedy of what happened to him and what he could have done had Bill O'Neill not betrayed him. So I I, I don't necessarily agree with that. You know that they're they're tr- trying to make you, uh, you know, only. Feel bad for Bill O'Neill. I think it was a it was a tough situation for for him to be in. But they, you know they they portrayed him in a worse light for the majority of it than they did Fred Hampton for sure.
0: I didn't feel bad for Bill O'Neill necessarily, but I, I thought that it that it was more from from the perspective of of him in the FBI and. They they made their creative choices on purpose, but but that being said, how about we we move into these these characters, um,
1: these people, right? I mean, they're they're this is you know this is for oh yeah, that's right. The they most are part are true story. You know what I mean? They were. Like I think people <laughs> don't. Oh yeah, that's right. I know, they are I I actual learn much people. <laughs> the Black Panthers they were. beyond they were a terrorist organization. That's what I learned in school. You know, it wasn't until later that um, I really learned about who they were, what they accomplished. You know, who Fred Hampton was. You know, doing my own research, uh, so I think it's important to remember these—these these are real people. These—this has really happened. You know, this was a, a a blow to I think you know the movement, and you know, while it is a Hollywood film, you know, remember that these were people.
0: With that in mind, Monica, what did you um, what did you learn growing up about the Black Panthers, and how much of it was from your public education in school?
2: Yeah, that's interesting to hear, Ty. You say that you. What you learned in school was them being framed as a terrorist uh, organization. That wasn't my experience. Mm-hmm. Um, I I went to private school, um, private high school, and they did touch upon the Black Panthers.
0: I rescind the public education thing. My bad. It
2: <laughs> Cause it, and it's different. That's why I want to make sure I differentiate. Um, because, you know, now when I look back, I would be uh, shocked to hear that I didn't learn that um, in a predominantly white You know, Catholic high school. Um, But they did kind of just pass it by. You know, the focus was always very much on Martin Luther King Jr. and his part of the movement. Um, And the Black Panthers were kind of just like a side note to the entire civil rights movement, Um, the little bit that we did cover. When I went to college, however, I did go to a public college. Um, That's really where I learned a lot about the truth of the Black Panthers and, and their position in the movement, the Young Lords, um, the Young Patriots, the Rainbow Coalition, all those things. So I went into the film with a pretty, um, you know, I, I don't think I I know everything, but a pretty deep understanding of what that really looked like back then. It, it's interesting to hear that, and I shouldn't be surprised, but this idea of, I guess sometimes I'm surprised because like we all went to school in New York um, and we live in a bubble, so I always assume we're a little... You mm-hmm. know, different um, than than maybe like the South or whatever. But to hear that they're still being painted um, as terrorists, uh, a terrorist organization, that that's kind of shocking.
1: Yeah, I feel like you know we learned after you know Martin Luther King was assassinated that uh, you know I think we brought this up before that it's like racism ended. You know, and Fred Hampton was killed, you know, after him. Right? He was he was killed in nineteen sixty nine, and 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 like it, 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 the fact that they don't cover that. in in detail is is pretty shocking it's it's really really it's wrong i
2: think when you really learn about uh fred hampton's like ideologies like in truth um you can understand why they don't do that because like a lot of the times and the movie did this too where it's just coming from this lens of like socialism and you know um i was happy to hear in the beginning when they had like the the backdrop and they uh started the film off with his famous quote around how we fight capitalism is not with black capitalism mm-hmm. um that they yeah we like they they didn't cut it off like they let the quote finish which is important but then to me it's like okay it kind of goes back to this narrative of it's just socialism when hampton really identified as a Mar- marxist leninist which is very specific, you know, and it's not just the analyzation of capitalism, which is like Marxism. It's like a play-by-play framework on how we actually defeat capitalism and how, you know, everybody's role in that and what that looks like. So when you really understand what he was really working from, it makes perfect sense that they never talk about him, you know, because he was one of the folks in the movement that was really coming with a playbook from this um, framework of Marxist Leninist to rally the folks. And not just talk about it, but like this, these are the exact steps that we need to be taking if we want to be successful.
0: Yeah. I mean, that is the real threat, right? It's not just, oh, um, black people are going to be, you know, uh, free themselves and take down white people. Like, that's not the threat. You know, you could have those, you know, you could have uh, black activists shouting, shouting that rhetoric all you want. And, uh, you know, the government will watch, but they'll really get involved once you start threatening capitalism. You know, once. Once you start saying maybe communism isn't a bad thing, and all we've ever heard was communism was a bad thing. People who were communists were bad. I hated communism, and I didn't even know what it was. I didn't even know why.
2: They uh, killed yeah, him go. because of what he was saying to black people. They killed him because of what he was saying to white people. At the end of the day,
0: amen to that. And uh, you know, he like he he said it. If you know, if they would have banded with the with the overseers and and slit the slave master's throats, we wouldn't we wouldn't be here right now. And that goes back to what we were talking about, about our our education growing up. Like, yeah, we did get educated in New York, but, you know, Tyler and I, for the most part, we were we were educated on Long Island. Um, you know, I, for a little bit in Queens, him for a little bit in South Carolina, but for the most part, it was Long Island. And we've spoken about in previous episodes about the Klan presence on the island historically. You know, when you look at the amount of people on Long Island who actually voted for Trump and... For those of you listening, being upset that I'm making the correlation, fuck you, okay? <laughs> like because <laughs> at, at at this point, you know, I won't, I won't, whatever. You can be, you can identify as a Republican, you can identify as a conservative, but like if you're still like team Trump after they attacked your your country, like that you claim to love so much, you know, you're you're fucking lost. But anyway, yeah. So um, clan members, Trump people. Um, now I I like that you brought up. Uh, the idea of uh, black capitalism, which, you know, which he mentioned in the film, because I think, you know, we saw it in One Night Miami with Sam Cooke like that. And, and Jim Brown, their their method of kind of, you know, fighting white supremacy is by giving uh, the black dollar more value. Um, I think Bill comes from a similar uh, a similar standpoint, like at this point, he is just a survivor. He is looking to to make sure that he can feed himself. And uh, and that he can come out on top and,
1: you know, keep him keep his head above water uh, another day. And well, yeah, Fred. I mean, Fred Hampton, he's a big picture kind of guy. Right. Like he, he's really intelligent. You can tell like, he's he's thinking about, you know, uh, the country and, and the people as a whole. And how, how do we make things better for everybody? You know, going forward. And again, yeah, I think mean, Bill is, is kind of just trying to survive. You know, he's thinking about himself. And, and I think, you know, it's tough when, when you don't know where your next meal's coming from. It's hard to, to care about a movement or care about, uh, you know, what's going on in the world around you. you just, you're just trying to survive. So I think, you know, they, they just have very different, uh, you know, ideas about what, where they want to go and what they want to do.
0: And at the time, we find him at the beginning of this film. He is uh, he's a he's a a thief, but he's also so streetwise because I mean, I guess you you kind of have to be if you're going to be a good thief, at least. Yeah. Um. But you know, he says even while he's being interrogated that you know his his uh his con doesn't involve or his grift uh doesn't involve using a gun to rob people. It involves using a badge because he knows personally as a black man for somebody who appears to be apolitical. It's a part of his life just by the color of his skin that he you know, he knows that the badge carries so much weight. Um, I have a I have a quick question. Did was he that fucked up by the crowns or when we see him in the interrogation room? I know he got stabbed a little bit, but his eyebrow is busted. Was that from the
1: crowns or the cops? I'm not sure. I'd have to rewatch it
2: when i read about um his story because what i knew about bill o'neill was just that you know like he he was an informant for the fbi all those things i didn't know that he had appeared in that doc or whatever so afterwards um his i think it was his his brother somebody in his family talked about how like the the abuse came from the cops and not even from the the made-up gang of the crowns or the organization
0: Okay, so can you tell me about the crowns now that you bring them up? Were they not a thing?
2: The cr- from what I've read, because when I watched the film and I saw the crowns, I was like, oh, I've never heard of them. Um, so apparently, they the the film kind of took a bunch of different organizations that were uh, present in Chicago at that time, and just for storytelling purposes, created um, this group of the mm. crowns to kind of encompass all these different smaller organizations that were mm. working. Um, in in Chicago at that time. So that's what I read because when I saw the film, I was like, who are these people? I've never heard of The Crowns, so I had to look it up. So <laughs> for storytelling purposes, they kind of grouped all these smaller organizations together and created this this idea of The Crowns for the film.
1: That, that makes sense. I feel like that's a common you know filmmaking practice where you try to simplify the story a bit. So that definitely makes sense they would do that.
0: Now, Bill's whole arc is that he is arrested by the by the cops the feds get to him and and say that they want want him to go undercover uh as an informant uh with the Black Panthers and 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 feed secrets to the to the FBI now um you know for in case you happen to be listening and and and, and don't know quick overview it doesn't really do them justice but uh the Black Panthers were a resistance party that were and monica you could fill in any gaps that I leave after this uh were a resistance party that was uh that was started by Huey P Newton and Bobby Seale Um, they are best known in popular United States media as like Ty, you said the terrorist organization, the hope they carried on the, by any means necessary, uh, you know, uh, um idea and and you know they're known for having shootouts with cops and carrying guns around all the time but what we really don't get told is that they were more about the community they were more about providing uh education and medic and uh, health care and food to the community that was underserved and that was where their real threat began will that will that suffice or do you have anything else to add on it
2: no no it was a pretty good uh overview <sighs> Whew.
0: Okay. I
1: appreciate it. Um, I mean, I think, I think like it just, I was just going to say like, you know, they, they, they did a lot of specific, really, you know, great work for the community that we still have today, right? Like the, the free school lunch, free medical clinics, uh, you know, uh, free, um, librarians, uh, uh, libraries rather legal aid education. Like they really like, you know, they, they've started things that we still have today. I mean, I think, I don't know if you were, but I know I got free uh, lunch in school. I had no idea you know like yep, i know yep, got free it's breakfast thanks and to them lunch. yeah you know it's like thanks to them that i i was able to eat every day at school and it, it's pretty incredible that we don't get taught that
0: well i think it's an important point to keep people not not informed of these things you know that's that that's how you that's how you create good workers to continue feeding capitalism because guess what capitalism thrives off of the the labor of uh the 99% of the working class of, of the proletariat as they mentioned in this film and Those people are a lot less likely uh, to just work every day and feed the machine if they actually know what's going on so no they won't get told about the revolutionaries because they don't want you know the system doesn't want people to know that it's possible um, they'll get told about you know the terrible things and you know I put that in quotes uh, that that black activists have done or or or, or protesters have done in, in the past and be like oh you don't want to be like them you don't want to do the violent thing you know meanwhile as I've said before on this podcast it is just a reaction uh, to to the violence that that was that was put out beforehand. Um, You know, even, I don't know, I don't know why I was never taught any of this stuff at home either. What what about you, Monica? Were you, you know, taught any stuff privately by by your, your mother or father or...
2: I didn't. I wasn't taught these things at home um, until very, very late in life. But my parents have a unique experience. I mean, like you mentioned earlier, um, they both came to this country when they were really young. My mom was seventeen. I think my dad was like twenty or twenty-one or something. So there, the immigrant experience is unique because it's like, you know, sometimes it's this feeling of like, hey, I'm just happy to be here. Like I'm gonna keep my head down and work yeah, and yeah. keep it moving. Um, so I don't even know, now that you mentioned it, to what degree my mom was, or my father, I, I doubt my father was, my mom maybe more, um, but even her, like to what degree she was knowledgeable. My knowledge really came from the community. You know, um, I and I grew up in a predominantly Latin and black neighborhood and just like having friends and their parents, like really kind of like putting me on, if you will. So f- even from my own experience, my, my mom, for example, like didn't learn a lot of details around certain things um probably until she kind of got older too i think she um had a more superficial um perspective of it like understanding but what really was happening probably not that much so a lot of it really came from different spaces oh that's what i was going to say to your point when you were kind of going over the black panther story i think one thing though um that needs to be added in the conversation when we talk about this idea of like they were really a community organization and they did so much you know free um the clinics and and um the child care and all these different things i think it really is important for people to understand and it was important for me to understand this um it was very strategic it, it yes it was to help communities and, you know, um, everyone kind of look out for your own, but it was really this idea of if the power is given to us, look at what we can do versus kind of just being okay with the minimum that the system gives us to kind of keep us from a revolutionary standpoint. You know, it it, it was a beautiful thing, but it was also extremely strategic on their part to do these kinds of things, to educate um, black people and other, groups that were marginalized and oppressed, like, if we bring the power to us, this is what life could look like, you don't have to just settle for whatever the government is giving you. So it it was a gift, but it was also a gift with a purpose, if that makes sense. And I don't often hear that in conversations when people talk about the positives um, of the Black Panther Party, and they weren't a terrorist organization. It, It was ridiculously intelligent. The way that they really navigated the work that they were doing.
0: And now speaking of that intelligence, uh, because I, th- I think you brought up, um, you know, yeah, you brought up like following in in the in the steps of Malcolm X and stuff. You know, we do we do uh, see in one scene that Fred is actually listening to Malcolm X's speeches, memorizing them and memorizing the vocabulary, which is so important, because like we said in the Malcolm X episode, part of his training when he was joining the Nation of Islam was to was to memorize every word in the dictionary. And and Fred shows this amazing ability to code switch in this movie that, you know, he can give a rousing speech and and use all these, you know, million dollar words. But he can also, you know, be like, all right, listen, you know, if you listen to his speeches, it's amazing to hear him talk because I'm a bad motherfucker. This guy's a bad motherfucker. Like like he's not stepping away from it. He's able to speak to everybody on on their level. And I think that is also what made him such a great leader and such a danger
1: to the establishment. Yeah, I mean, when you're able to unite people of all, you know, uh, races, backgrounds, you know, people who who have been exploited and you can bring them under one banner the way he was able to and just, you know, inspire people. Obviously, that was why, you know, Hoover really focused on him so much. You know, uh, I mean, you know, the title of the movie is Judas and the Black Messiah, because, you know, he, he could have been this guy who really could have taken down the system. You know, he was only 21 years old when he died. I mean, who knows what he could have accomplished with more time. Uh, you know, and it, it's, uh, it, you know, it, it really is interesting to see how, how much Hoover, you know, put put effort into taking him down. Right. And, and it's just you, you can see what a threat he was to the capitalist system. And also
0: it kind of continues or I guess it, it happened already so maybe it's just you know one step in a long line of you know conservatives making shit up and getting afraid over those things like the black messiah was a boogeyman he you know yeah. like and and hoover coined the term like i see so mm-hmm. many idiots on so many uninformed people online uh talking about how like <laughs> oh you're calling him the messiah jesus was the real messiah blah blah it's like listen that was your 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 feds they came up with the term black messiah because you know another thing too is i think realize uh, them they misunderstand that it's not just one person who can lead people you can't just chop off the head and expect everything everything else to die um the whole point of fred hampton was to let the people know that they have the power in the first place and and i think that that's where the misunderstanding comes from you know that that true re, you know revolutionaries i don't think they're going to be you know, the, the people who, if if their president tells them to go storm the Capitol, they'll storm it because he said so, you know, if they're going to storm a building, they're doing it for a reason that they know is, is, is something, something they believe in. Um, but, uh, but let's, let's talk about Fred and we're going to, we're going to hit plot points and stuff as we go along. So don't be afraid to throw up specific things that were, you know, like important to you. Uh, In my notes, I have kind of like a, a plot, you know, plot point, like, you know, oh, how I reacted to everything. Um, but, but yeah, so, so we do see Fred who's played by Daniel Kaluuya. I was impressed by how well he managed to get, uh, to get Fred's, uh, mannerisms down his, his, his vocal mannerisms
1: specifically. Yeah. I mean, Hampton always spoke really quickly, right? Like he, he seemed like he was speaking really fast. Like he had a lot of, a lot that he wanted to get out. And I, I thought, uh, you know, that they did a really good job portraying that in the film. I thought, you know, he was really magnetic as him.
2: Yeah. He did a great job. The only I'm probably being picky just because I when I think about Fred, I'm like, he was 21 and I would have loved to see someone that made me feel like I was looking at such a young guy. And
0: yeah. OK, so it wasn't just me. All yeah,
2: right. like I, wish, <laughs> you know, I think he did an amazing job. I mean, I love I love him. He's a great actor. Yeah. Um, and you're yeah. right. The way that he was able to really kind of. Um, match tone and cadence and all these different ways, you know. uh, uh, And even, like, his body language, like, was really great. The way he kind of, like, slunched over a little bit and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm like, Fred was 21. And not for nothing, that is one of the most powerful parts to me about his story. Like, he walked with, like, past life knowledge. Like, this man was freaking let's talk about ancestor power like that that was that was part of his story and like looking at um daniel playing him i was just like oh man you look a little old i don't know (laughs) 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 but you know whatever Um, it is it is what it is
0: yeah yeah it's hollywood you know uh there there is um there are a lot of really great subtleties I like in this movie. Some aren't so subtle, but just seeing how, like, how he speaks to the people in that first in that first uh, scene, where he uh, he chooses to stand on the floor where they're sitting and speak to them on a personal level. When he's teaching in that classroom and he asks a question, there's one guy who raises his hand and another who doesn't, and he just answer answers. And that right there, I was like, oh shit, is waiting to be called on, uh you know, a colonization thing? Yeah, I'd assume so. Don't speak until you're spoken to, right? And we'll mm-hmm. talk a lot about that next week when we when we cover Antebellum. They, you know, they do that as well. Oh, you know what blew me away when he said that his mother uh babysat uh for Emmett Till? Yeah. I was like, oh shit. Um I'd like to imagine if that's the case, that uh D from Lovecraft Country, who was friends with Emmett Till as a kid, who was friends with Bobo, uh, she grows up to join the Black Panthers with her mechanical arm.
2: I love uh, that. Spoiler,
0: by the way, <laughs> for Lovecraft. But uh, we reviewed that. Listen to that episode too. You
2: ruined everything um, for everyone, Mikey. I see.
0: <laughs> oh, he also calls out this idea of um of like gradual reform and and it really made me feel at ease, which I appreciate. Uh, we heard Joe Armstrong on the on our election episode talking about how like gradual change is 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 the preferable way or the more effective way to go about things. And when you when you take a wider look at history, you might be able to get that impression, right? You're like, well, there are you know there are people now who can do things and have opportunities that people who look like them, you know a hundred years ago couldn't do those things. So yes, we are making progress, but um, you know, like, like Fred says, he says, they're just teaching you how to be a better slave. Mm -hmm. Like that's, that's all they're doing. He says, you know, they'll let you change your name of the college. They'll let you wear a dashiki. And that right there reminded me of the Democrats when black lives matter, uh, you know, came back in full effect and they took a knee with the fucking dashikis, but didn't pass any legislation to help the black community. Like get the fuck out of here. You know, like, um, you know, there's a lot of performative stuff. And, and also that made me, you know i've kind of had this tension with my wife recently where she um she was of the mindset that it's great to see a woman as the vice president i am of the mindset that it doesn't matter if the woman's vice president because she has not shown in her history that she is looking out for the you know for women or people of color and i told her last night i said i said it's it's okay to feel the way you feel but keep an eye out for what she does for women in the next 4 years um Monica, how do, you, how do you feel about, about Kamala, um, that being said? like Do you share a similar sentiment? Because you and I honestly don't ever discuss politics. We just see and like each other's stuff on social media. We never grew up discussing politics, and we never really did. So where do you stand on that?
2: Um, we don't talk politics because I never want to talk to you. No, I'm kidding. Um- <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm paying her for this appearance, guys. Uh- <laughs>
2: really? Fabulous. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, man. I have thoughts. Listen, I... Go ahead, I get it. I I can't imagine um, what kind of compromises she had to make as a black woman um, in her career to get where she wanted to go and all these things. And so a part of me is like, okay, there's understanding there. Um, I understand how powerful and how significant it is to have a black woman in office in this country and what that symbolizes for so many people. Um, but at the same time, I struggle with the concept of supporting someone whose history and ideologies go so against mine, even though she is a black woman, a, a woman of color. I I struggle with it. Um, so if this is still something that like within me, I don't think I've necessarily settled. Um, I try to like quiet certain things i guess within myself to be able to be like oh this is great you know this is powerful this is important but at the same time i'm just like i don't know for the cause that i think we should be striving for how significant that really is i think under capitalism it's significant but under what i where i think we need to go it works against us um but at the same time, I'm like, damn, you know, like, that's great. There's a black woman in office. This is powerful. This is amazing. But big picture wise, it, it doesn't it doesn't align for me.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, we, we always do say like representation matters, um, you know, but uh, but, you know, just like you said, it's it's a lot more complicated than just representation because, you know, despite Kamala being who Kamala is. Maybe there's you know a young a young black girl somewhere who's like oh wow I'm gonna get involved in you know this line of work or or blah blah blah. And- I really- I th-
2: sorry to cut you off. I think things like that too. Like they also kind of like delay the way that the population can kind of develop a more revolutionary consciousness. You know, it's just like it's difficult because we'll we'll settle on this great achievement or perceived great achievement, and it'll just prolong the what might be necessary to kind of get us where we need to go?
1: Yeah, I think that's exactly what they're doing. you know they they, they know right I mean look we people took to the streets for months last year right uh, demanding change. so if they if they give you a little something, they'll hope you know that it, it'll calm people down and and stop the movement you know long enough to, for them to kind of grab the reins again and get control and I think they, they do this time and time again. Um, and I think it's so important to to just be aware of that, and and, and you know like like Mike said, keep, you know keep an eye on what she what is what is Kamala going to do for for women? What is she going to do for people of color going forward? You know what kind of policy changes are are they going to enact, uh, or is it going to be more of the same? And and if it is more of the same, we we have to, you know as we say, hold them accountable. And if that you know if we can't hold them accountable, then we need to find something better because we can't do this time and time again. You know I was going to bring up that. Hampton, in, you know, in the movie and in real life, he he said that he knew that he was pretty much going to get killed, right? He knew he wasn't going to slip on ice. He knew he wasn't going to have a heart attack. You know, he was ready to die for the people. You know, he said that Malcolm Martin, you know, both died for the people and we should all be so lucky. And he mm-hmm. was ready for that. You know, and I think he's, he, was, he could be at peace with that. But what I think he was hoping was that, you know, through his death, through their deaths the movement would, would keep going and finally make a change. And the fact that in 2021, capitalism is stronger than ever, right, and and conditions have, have just, you know, continued to worsen uh, is just so sad, you know, because clearly the movement didn't work. It, it didn't fix what needed to be fixed, and and we let them kind of take back control again.
0: And to go back to this idea of what we were talking about with uh, with Kamala kind of being paraded before people. I think that that's something that that uh, that agent Mitchell exemplifies in this in this film, too, Uh, and the FBI as a whole, but specifically him, because he makes it a point to make Bill feel at home like he's equal a little. He invites him into his house. He cooks him dinner. You know, this is very much, you can be one of us. You can fit in. You don't have to be an extremist.
2: Oh, sorry. I'm over here just agreeing with you. I said, yes, yeah, that white oh, alignment, well, well, cool. alignment to whiteness.
1: Yeah. And you know what's interesting, though, is I don't, you know, I don't know how real this was or if it was just done in the movie. But there's that that moment, right, where Mitchell meets up with J. Edgar Hoover and they put him in a really uncomfortable spot. You know, they ask him Ooh, yeah. about his family. <laughs> and then they ask him, what if his daughter brings home, uh, you know, a black man one day? And and he says, she's an infant, sir. And he goes, yeah, but what would you do? And he doesn't actually answer the question, right? He kind of changes the subject. He never really answers it. Uh, and, you know, I know they're trying to portray him in a in a more, you know, sensitive light to make you think, oh, you know, he's not so bad. He's being manipulated either. But, you know, he does some pretty horrible things still. You know, he he manipulates Bill. So it's just a constant, you know, I feel like it just shows we're all kind of cogs in the wheel. And, you know, you have to recognize you're being used. Everyone's being used by the people up top, even him. Yeah, Mitchell um and and that whole scene kind of
0: it kind of harkens to something that I'm pretty sure I've said it multiple times. Um that like There are good people who truly believe they're doing the right thing. And they're like, what's the best thing I can do to help people become a cop? And I think at that point, you don't you don't transfer from being a good person to being a good cop. You translate from being a good person who becomes a cop Uh, because we have seen time and again, the cops who call out their, you know, their uh, their fellow officers who do wrong are fired. Um, or they, you know, they have to be quiet, which just good now. Now you're one of them. I think that Mitchell is the kind of person who, like, he true, like he believes he's he's um he's finding justice you know he tells him he's like listen like you know i you know i think that that black people should be equal too. i'm paraphrasing i think about black people should be equal too but um you know he says you can't cheat your way to equality or shoot your way to it which really pissed me the fuck off because yep. that kind of sentiment is shared by so many white people i've met um or seen online that are like that are like listen you know if you want to be equal you work for it blah 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 like what did you fucking do
1: you are yeah. fucking born here yeah well, Mitchell clearly doesn't think that he's a racist, right? He even brings up how he investigated uh, the murder of some some black kids, I think he said in Mississippi by the police, right? They were handed to the Klan, and he went there and you know he investigated to find out what happened. You know, he he doesn't think that he's a racist. He thinks that you know he's like you said he's doing the right thing, um, but
2: that, that's that's the issue. Sorry to cut you off, Ted, but that's the issue with like this whole idea of racism, right? It's that people don't. And you know, we're not taught it, but then at the same time I'm like, you know, it's such an uncomfortable conversation. People don't even want to do their own research on it. By definition, all white people are racist. And I know yes. like like they're all racist. All y'all. Yep. All y'all yep. are racist as hell. Yep. By definition. Yep. And it's I, like I agree, yeah. Yeah, and it's it's unfortunate because it I mean, I couldn't stand that Mitchell character, honestly. And not just because of what he did, but just um That idea, going back to what Mikey said about like people, you know, they do think that they're doing good and, you know, you're a good person, you want to be a cop and all these things. But it's like at the end of the day, that's the danger of like that liberal kind of sentiment, you know, like Mm -hmm. you think that you can get into the system and impact change. That's bullshit.
0: And as long as you're enforcing the law, and I'm sorry to cut you off, like, you will follow orders. At the end of the day, Mitchell doesn't want to do what he does. It seems like that in the movie, but he follows orders. He still fucking he does it. The best cop you know is still
1: going to enforce the law, and the law is ridiculous. No, but, I mean, you brought up some really valid points. I mean, I think it's and it's really tough for white people to kind of come to terms with the fact that whether they mean to or not, they are racist, right? I think that's uh, probably one of the most difficult uh, inner conversations I ever had to have with myself, you know, I've said on the podcast and before, have you know, I, my girlfriend's Hispanic. She brought up to me, you know, about slavery and reparations. And I would, you know, at the time I was just like, "Why well, I didn't own slaves. So why do I have to think about this? And, you know, coming to terms with the fact that, you know, my whole mindset is, is wrong. It's, it's, it is racist, you know, and, and that's just, it, it's passed down from, you know, from my parents to me and from their parents to them, you know, and it's just something that we really have to come to terms with ourselves. You know, you got to take that minute and have that, that, that introspective moment, Uh, and you have to every day and every moment realize the actions and things you say and do, you know, you, you have to make sure that you're doing the right thing. You're not being racist because there's so many times where you think, you know, you make a joke or you, you make a microaggression. Um, Things like that, that, you know, we we don't realize how hurtful and offensive that is. And we have to we have to be aware of it.
0: And to follow up on that, I want to share the epiphany or one of a few epiphanies, but the only applicable one uh, that I came up with uh, today while I was floating. Because we talk a lot about how important history is and how yesterday affects today. You know, you can't you can't say that argument like, oh, well, I didn't own slaves with blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, but, you know, there are still people who are descended from from people who were whose ancestors worked for 400 years to build this country without any pay. They don't have the capital necessary to 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 thrive in this capital system, despite the fact that they uh, that they've worked for it. Um, or when I when I made my post about Christopher Columbus, and that one that one uh, acquaintance went off on like, oh well, you know, it, it doesn't matter, blah blah blah. And there are so many people who share similar. It happened so long ago. It doesn't matter. It happened so long ago. It doesn't matter. Then why do you still celebrate the Fourth of July? Why do you still celebrate Columbus Day? Why do you still celebrate? Um uh, uh, you know uh d-day, why do you still celebrate anything if history doesn't matter? if you're proud you hang a
1: Confederate flag, right? Thank I mean... you.
0: Yeah, if you're proud of your history, then you should also know all of it and be able to be ashamed of it too, you know, or if you're proud of history of of, of history, you should realize that there are people who are not proud of of things that have happened like it is important um, But uh, but yeah. Oh, I also want to talk about just going from Mitchell uh, to the Feds in general and how they are playing. They they're pulling from the United States playbook. uh, As as if you learn about. Andrew Jackson and the government's tactics to turn native Americans against each other and use them in wars against each other and then yep. manipulate them out of their land. Um, you know, that is very much what the FBI is doing in this movie. I do enjoy their portrayal as a bunch of drunken idiots just, uh, and J Edgar Hoover's just a racist. Um, it's the other called guys dig in. Just, it's called dig Yeah. They're drunk trying to <laughs> decipher black language and sound authentic. Um, and, and uh, so I like that. But also, like, we see that they're they're sending pamphlets uh, to, you know, to certain parties and everything. And, uh, you know, it's so that way it's so's division among activism among activists. Now, I'm wondering and I'm pretty sure the answer is yes. Like, do they still do the same thing today? Like, you know, we've heard on Move Left Idiots that. You know, every time somebody brings up a certain argument, like other people might call them like, oh, like you're a cop, you know, you're a fucking cop. You're talking like a cop. Then I've heard on another podcast that they're saying not everyone who has a different opinion than you is a cop. But do we think this is possible today? I don't have proof. So that's why I'm asking and not definitely saying yes. Um, Ty, you can answer first if you want.
1: I would say definitely yes. (laughs) You know, I don't have definitive proof, but I would bet my whole life on it. Right. That there are people whose job is, is to either be an informant or to, you know, be undercover, uh, you know, and their job is to learn more about, uh, you know, about the movement and about what, you know, what people are up to. And, you know, especially with the Internet, you have, you know, uh, the ability to be anonymous so easily now. Uh, I think some would say absolutely. Q you anonymous. It was- I mean,
0: absolutely. <laughs> I think they, they do that. Monica, what about yourself? Do you do you think that's possible? Let's talk conspiracy on here. And it's honestly not conspiracy, but.
2: It's not no freaking conspiracy, man. Fuck the police, absolutely, 100%. I mean, I think back on everything that was happening this past summer and with all the protests and all the march and all these things, I mean, it it, it was different than what, uh, you know, people saw during the civil rights movement in a lot of different ways, but in a lot of other ways, it was one of the, it was bigger than what was happening during the civil rights movement because it was happening at the same time across countries like it was a huge movement and i remember like being on social media and seeing so many things like oh if you're donating to black lives matters you're really not donating to that organization and like look into it and all these different theories that were coming up if you were like following a bunch of community activists lost in the noise yeah yeah that made you doubt like oh should i not um, actually give power, because money is power. So should I not give power to these organizations? Like, that would just sow these seeds of doubt. And if you actually dug into it, there was no real basis behind it. Like, I remember the New York chapter of Black Lives Matter, for example, got a lot of um, folks kind of coming at them like, oh, you know, we shouldn't donate money because they're not using it for the cause and all these things. And they literally had to, um, it was a woman that that was leading the the New York chapter, She really had to do a lot of work around, like, no, look, it's actually going towards this. But it's just that little bit of doubt um, that, you know, now with social media, it's so much easier for the government and for the FBI and all these all these fucking assholes to, like, use that to their advantage. I absolutely think that's still not only is it still possible, I think it's happening personally
0: all right. Well, uh while I'm editing this episode, I will look for sources and see if we we have anything to to back that up other than everything we've seen in history. Um <laughs> you know, when we when we do look at the FBI specifically in this film, um we we see that while someone like Mitchell is believes in law and order and justice, uh we see that his boss and bosses are all racist. And when he finds that out, he's right. kind of like oh,
1: like, that's what this is. Yeah, even he's taking a little of backfire, right? Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, and, J. Edgar
1: um, Hoover was a bastard. I'm just going to say, like, he was a real yeah. piece of shit. You yeah. know, and, and, and it came out after his death just how much he abused his power. You know, he basically helped form the FBI and he did some really, really horrible stuff. Uh, you, know, he, he, you know, we already said spoilers. He, he basically assassinates Fred Hampton when Hampton's already going back to prison. You know, and that's still not good enough. They they need to they need to make sure he he never has a voice again. You know, and these are the kind of things that that Hoover was doing behind the scenes that a lot of people didn't realize. And he was, I think, for over like thirty five years, he was in uh, his position of power in the FBI. And it's just, you know, it it he was a real monster.
0: And when you do peel back the layers and take a look at at what they're saying, uh, you find out what they really mean, and that's what happened. Like you find out that it's not about. It's not about keeping Americans safe. For Hoover, it's about the black messiah. You can't have black people gaining agency in this world. And when you do look at law enforcement in general, that's what it is. It's like, oh, well, listen, you shouldn't have broken the law. You shouldn't have, you know, no no matter how ridiculous the law is, oh, you shouldn't have broken it, you know. But then also you look at, oh, well, I wouldn't have found you breaking this law if I wasn't in your neighborhood a lot more than I'm in some other neighborhoods, Malcolm X said it himself. How can you have a neighborhood with more police and more crime? How does that make any fucking sense? You know, they're finding people to arrest them. And then, oh, well, you're getting sent to the neighborhoods of poor people. These are, sorry, socioeconomically disadvantaged people. And these people happen to be people of color. What are the chances? And then you look back at it and you realize, yes, that cops come from, sla- uh, from slave patrol. You know, they come from people who who were put in place to protect capital and protect property. And they, they, they were, and can still be considered a gang, just a very large gang. You know, that's, that's the kind of organization they are, Uh, you know, until the powers that be tricked us into, into paying our taxes to them to, you know, as Fred noted, and I noted in previous podcasts, you know, split, split heads open, you know, we're paying them to kill us. And, um,
1: look what they do to Fred, right? They, he won't even drive because, they keep pulling him over for traffic violations. They just they just keep trying to get him on any little bullshit thing they can, right? They eventually arrest him for what stealing seventy dollars worth of ice cream. You know they they are just they are just constantly on him. Uh,
0: apparently, um, not only did he you know quote unquote steal it, but when the police spoke to the truck driver, like because uh, I I watched the the small case they the small hearing they had on this, and uh, and the lawyer's like, all right, so. You know, the cop pointed to him and then the driver said, That's him, and he's like, Yeah. So the cop was the first one to point to Fred Hampton. And then afterwards, you know what they did with all the supposedly stolen ice cream? They wow. gave it to children. And and Fred's like, he's like, Look, even when they make me a villain, they make me a Robin Hood villain. I'm giving back to the people. <laughs> <He's> like, so, <laughs> so so good. Um I, I think I've said everything I need to say about all the different characters, about the about the feds. We've had some awesome dialogue regarding just uh, the current uh, state of 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 our country and how it mirrors the previous states what do you guys want to talk about that that hasn't been brought
1: up yet Fred Hampton jr was a consultant on the film and I thought that was pretty cool so uh, his his son you know Fred Hampton's son was actually a consultant for this film and uh, I thought that was great that they brought him on board and um, I, I thought it was a cool moment obviously we you know we talked about monica mentioned the crowns were not a real gang but it was it was kind of cool to see when when they do have their meeting that uh the black panthers show up in like the inverse colors of the crowns right like with, oh uh, yeah you're right it was, was it was a cool a touch guy. i thought that? Yeah, see, yeah there you go you know. <laughs> but, you know the black hat and the green jackets kind of the to mirror them a little bit um you know and and like there was a moment where they go to visit uh I believe the Young Patriots, right, which is which is a white a white group and they have the Confederate flag I like there, that moment. Right? And and one of the Black Panthers says when I see that flag hanging I see my uncle hanging from a tree. And I think that's just such a great way to to understand why that flag is so upsetting. You know, pe- people want to talk about how it's just history, but you know, when you break it down like that you know, can you not understand why that would be triggering or would be upsetting for for a person of color? And I, I thought that was a really cool moment, uh, and, and just seeing you know they didn't spend a lot of time uh, with the young patriots or the young lords or any of them, but they, they you know just seeing them all kind of come together, yeah. you know, for the rainbow coalition. And I think uh, Bill O'Neill says Hanta could sell salt to a slug. You know, he was just so charismatic that he could he could get anybody to you know to join up with the cause. And, and it was just, it was incredible to see just, just how, you know, intelligent and well-spoken and how he could get, he could understand people of any background, any race, you know, just get where they were coming from and, and talk to that. And it was really, I mean, it's really inspiring, right? It was just, uh, unbelievable. Yeah. That's
0: such like. An evolution of activism too, because when we did talk about Malcolm X in that movie, that's something we discussed off mic. But there's a moment where a young white activist, you know, a young ally, comes to him and says, "What can I do to help your cause?" And he says nothing. In his autobiography, he later stated that that was like one of the biggest regrets that he had. And so yep. we see Fred kind of picking up where where he left off, and it's like, all right, now we're uniting a lot of people, and. I've been thinking a lot about my own activism. I'm not sure how much of it I've shared on the podcast, but like how much of my activism is just gonna be me bitching into a microphone or posting shit on social media that nobody's gonna see. like how what am I doing to really, you yeah. know to really make a difference? and And one thing that came to me, and, you know, recently is like, we got to get the working class together first of all because we do not succeed unless everybody is is united under that and cl- class is the big unifier you don't have mm-hmm. to hate a person of this color or that color for taking your money when you're all earning enough money to survive you know um and and fred was really the one who put these these theories into practice you know don't just say i think socialism works i think communism works i think we have to do this i think we have to do that show how it works show mutual aid take care of each other
1: i think he understood that really well you know he he wasn't just you know going around saying fuck white people he's like fuck the system that's oppressing all of us right and and if you can do that if you can get you know a, a uh you know an like a, a, a poor or, or economically you know, distressed white person to, to kind of understand that you have something in common and you can unite them, right? In a, in a way that I think the system never could. And that that was what he was on the path to doing, and it, it, that was why he was so dangerous for them. Because if he could have done that, I think Monica said it. You know, was what he was saying to white people. That was that was a danger. You know, once you start getting you know everyone on board <laughs> like that, yeah, it's you know what, where are you gonna go next? You know, you really could take down the system because you're uniting people. And you know, he was only in Chicago. Imagine if he had you know been able to travel to other places. And, you know, as he got as he got older and really unite people in all these different cities, what he could have really done. It, I mean. It, it's really uh, it's incredible to think about. Um, there was a there was a quote from J. Edgar Hoover that he says in the movie. He says uh, when he's talking to Mitchell about you know why they have to stop the Black Panthers. He says, "Rape, pillage, conquer." And I mean the irony is unbelievable, right? Because you know what what did white colonists do when they came came to America, <laughs> they, right? They raped, pillaged, yep. and conquered. They 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 took, you know, this is stolen land and, and the atrocities they committed. But, you know, I think you, you you've mentioned this before, but they're so afraid of what of, of come getting up and retribution, you know. Yeah. And, and yeah. And I think, you know, knowing what they did, they're afraid that could happen to them. And that's that's where a lot of the, that fear comes from.
0: And you know why I don't think that'll ever happen, like in real life, like let's say. Yes, the revolution is successful. People of color finally uh, are the ones who are, you know, setting policy and um, and, you know, running the country, you know, ideally the world. I don't think they would ever do what what white people historically have done to their ancestors back to white people, because the colonizing mindset you need to not see your victim as a human being anymore in order to do the things that, that were fucking done to them. And we couldn't do that. I don't, I don't think, I don't, I don't think we could. I just don't, I don't have it in me. You know, I was crying my eyes out watching the impeachment. You know, I, you know, we said before, Monica said, fuck the police. That's what we're all about here. And yet seeing fucking cops getting brutalized, you know, even them, I was like, fuck dude. Like, I don't, I don't want to see anybody from the working class being, uh, you know, abused or brutalized or whatever. Like, you know, equality is about equality. It's not about power. And, uh, you know, equality and equity, I should say, as well. Um, But, yeah. And also, who taught you how to do those things? Like, Hoover's upset. Oh, rape, pillage, conquer. That's what they're going to do. It's like, well, who taught them how to do that? If that was the case. (laughs) Like, you know. And that's, you know, that's a Malcolm X speech who taught you how to hate. Um, Anything else, Ty?
1: Yeah, there's um, one of the Black Panthers. His name is Jake, I think. Jake Winters. And, you know, he, he murders a police officer and then he's killed. And uh, they, they show Fred Hampton go to his mother and she says, you know, he did that. He did that, but that ain't all he did. Don't seem fair. That's his legacy. And I feel like that happens so often, right, with people. That's uh, the movie. Especially people of color <laughs> that they only talk about maybe uh, the crime or what they've been accused of doing. They never talk about the person you know, where you would see that totally differently, especially for a white person or a police officer. You know, they, they only focus on... A Brock Turner. You know, yeah. making them a villain. Yeah, you know, they only want to make him a villain. But, you know, that that's one action when they had, you know, they had a life, they had a family, and, you know, they may have done a lot of good and, and just to focus on that. And, and it doesn't seem fair that it happens specifically to people of color, uh, for you know, the majority of the time.
0: You know, that that's because they're not the ones who get to build the narrative. And, yeah. you know, that's that's it. You know, uh, th- that was a case with, uh you know, with Asada Shakur, who had to escape to Cuba, which is something they suggest to Fred in, the, in this movie. Yes. They're like, dude, like, yes. you've got the money. Go to Cuba. Continue the fight from there. Um, You know, uh, she's quoted in Antebellum. So we'll get more of an overview on on her when we do that episode in a couple of weeks. But um, oh, sorry. Next week, as for this the release date of this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I'm losing the continuity, tie. I got—I flew oh, too close boy. to the sun, bro. I flew way T- too close the to the sun. The multiverse
1: is... The multiverse here. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's collapsing. Uh,
1: <laughs> so, you know, it was interesting that when they mentioned the documentary at the end that, that Bill O'Neill, the only interview he ever did, right? And they show... Eyes on the
0: prize and, too, yes. Right.
1: Yeah, and he talks about how he wasn't an armchair revolutionary. You know, he went out there and he put it on the line. And he kind of makes himself out to be like a bit of a hero, right? Like he was fighting for the cause when, you know, he drugged uh, Fred Hampton and and told the police to lay out of the apartment so they could murder him in his sleep. Uh, and, and you know, he says, I'll let, I think he says, I'll let history kind of speak for my actions, right? Um, and then he 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 committed suicide after it aired. So I think that, more than anything, kind of shows where he really, you know, what he really believed about his actions. I think he was probably ashamed of them and seeing that interview air, uh, you know, he, he decided to, to end his own life, you know, dealing with that, what he did, his own actions.
0: Do you think they misled him? Do you think they were like, we're gonna interview you, one of the heroes of the Black Panther Party? Um, <laughs> we're gonna have you, uh, you know, tell us about everything you did with the Black Panther group, and then like casually they coax the Fred thing out of him, and then like he's like, guys, I can't wait to watch this documentary. He gets his whole family together, and they're like, this uh, fucking guy, Bill O'Neill.
1: <laughs> and it's like, oh it's shit! Like a, it's like a mutual friend of ours. I had something like that happen. Oh um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: That that unfortunately did happen. Yeah.
2: Um, I really, uh, appreciated the scene, um, where Hampton was running one of his classes for, uh, the comrades, and then Bill is trying to flirt. He, like, basically, you know, in a very Fred Hampton way, like, rips him a new one, and he's like, you know, like, that's your sister in arms. I think that was really important, and I think that was really, really important, especially right now, um, for them to make sure that they included that in the film, um, where we are currently because there's so many narratives uh, in place right now that are really causing a division amongst women and men of color, Um, black men, black women, Um, you know, for for a variety of reasons. But I think it was really important for that to be included in the film because A, you know, historically, the, the value and power that black women have added to the civil rights movement, to Social justice in general um, always highlight that always,
0: and it can't be it can't be spoken about enough, and and it isn't, and we haven't really even we did a little bit, I, I think, at some point, but we haven't really discussed it. So you're, you're absolutely right.
2: Yeah, that you, it has to be highlighted um, because so often, like especially in like f- at least from what I've seen, especially in like film or, or shows or series, whenever they kind of you know center it around the civil rights movement story, it's so often you know the MLKs and the Malcolm X and the Nation of Islam is kind of there and how they portray women in that context, very few few times do we often get to see what really went down and and the power and and the, the stake that black women held in that space. So I thought that was really awesome, especially, again, because currently, um, there's so many things dividing, you know, black women and black men and women of color and things like that. So that was really really good for me to see and for him to have a consequence of it like do these push-ups now. You know, like that this is this is what happens when you cross a line and you don't see women as people. Um Versus
0: You see them as a goal.
2: As a goal. So that was really, really good for me to see. And it was so small and it could be like overlooked, but I was like, no, that was really dope. Um To Ty's point about Fred Hampton Jr. being a, a consultant on the film, I didn't know about this. I learned about it this morning, so I just wanted to make sure I plugged it. Um, he is actually still fundraising to save his father's house. And there's a GoFundMe yeah. called Save the Hampton House Committee that I don't know to what degree did um, the filmmakers or anyone involved in this project really kind of support him in that way. But just making sure we highlight that for folks that are able to go donate. I think that's really important if we're going to sit here and watch this film and be in awe of, you know, the story and all these great things. If, you know, Mikey, to your point, talking about activism and action, what can you do now besides just learn and rant? You know, that's something we can all do.
1: How are they doing on that GoFundMe time? They are, I think, at three hundred and two thousand out of three hundred and fifty thousand that they're trying to get. So uh, they are, you know, they're getting there. But I think, um, you know, if you're listening and you and you want to help out just a little bit, will help push them to the goal.
0: Yeah. By the time this podcast comes out, hopefully they would have reached their goal. But if they're still collecting, fucking donate. You know, like yeah, why not? You know, the best thing you can do with your dollar is is send it back to to the people. Now this house, um. Is it the house that uh, that we see the assassination in in the film, or no?
2: You know, I'm not sure. I made that assumption, but now that you post that question, I'm wondering if it's the community center. But I believe it, it's.
0: Oh, it is the childhood home of Black Panther Party Chairman Fred Hampton. I could have just scrolled. Yeah. But I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they want to make it into a museum, and and they're going to use it for uh, educational services, community gardening a meeting place for community development. So it's not it's not just for for Fred Hampton Jr. that you know have his house. Like they want to actually use it to give back to the community. So, uh, which I think is great. And Fred Hampton Jr. has you know he has been uh, politically active, and you know he maybe. Uh, isn't as as well known as his father, but you know he's been out there in the fight too and uh you know, so I think it's important to support him as well
0: oh, now that you mentioned uh just something regarding a woman in the film because we really haven't spoken much about it, but I don't think enough can be said of Dominique fishback and and her role as Deborah Johnson because like she has a lot of subtleties in this movie that are just so great and we we really you know we get to hear her feelings on 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 Fred's uh Fred's speeches and the way he talks and we and his activism and and how it'll be being a mother and bringing a child into into such a dangerous world, a world where he will probably not and unfortunately ends up not having a, a father. She I don't think she gets to speak much, but she does really shine when when she does when we see her wiping away a tear or, you know notably at the at the end of the film, which by the way, this actually happened. They said the things that the cops uh, said in that film where, you know, he says, oh, yeah. it looks like he's going to make it. Shoots him twice. And he goes, he's good and dead now. Like this actually happened. Yeah. And, um, you know, for like her face, just the, you know, I heard Fred earlier in the movie discipline, you know, discipline. Yep. That's what you need right now, you know, to get through this. And it was just, you know, terrible. And, you know, I think that also goes to what we talked about in Lovecraft Country, how just because the way a lot of, you know, black people's lives have turned out that they um, may end up not being comfortable sharing emotion because they can't and then pass that on to their children as well and
1: that is a form of generational trauma. She, she has a couple of great moments too where you know she she's pregnant so she wants to be in this fight so badly and she's become a large part of it. and you can see you know women there are some really strong women in this organization uh, and there's that moment where they're kind of having to standoff with the police in, in, in the house or the apartment there and you know they, they make her leave because she's pregnant. You know and then again later she says to Fred you know you can go out there and say I'm ready to die for the cause and put your body on the line I can't do that because I'm going to be a mother you know I have a child that I you know I have to think about and it you know and it, and it really does kind of make you think about that you know she, it, it, as great as Fred Hampton is you know it's easy for him to go out there and say I'm gonna die a martyr for the cause and she knows that she can't do that you know she's she's a mother now and that's that's got to kind of be her her most important thing to do is to take care of her child.
2: Racial trauma is like a real thing, you know, it, it and it feels and looks so much different than just like the general trauma that we're used to discussing. I mean, racial trauma, like trauma in general, literally changes our biology um, and the amount of stress that black people have endured in this country, it isn't just this idea of learned behavior when we talk about, you know, uh, they have to learn to not show emotion and all these things. It's shifts that have happened on a very biological level because of the warfare that has been um, put upon black bodies in this country.
0: Thank you so much for that nuance. I really appreciate that. Um, Just uh, following up on that, because you haven't really gotten to speak much about your work today, the point that spoke uh, that, that spoke out to me in, in your bio was helping people from a decolonized mindset. Can you just go into a little bit more like what that means and um, maybe how listeners at home can can begin to decolonize themselves?
2: Ooh, that's a lofty, lofty question.
0: <laughs> 30 seconds, president. No, uh, <laughs> no. Uh...
2: I'll talk a little bit about my perspective of it. So, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a social worker and a therapist. And the reason why I'm intentional about making sure I kind of um, describe my work in that way is because I recognize that in this country, social services and social work, um, is a Band-Aid for systemic issues and systemic racism. So um, when you go into this field, you know, anyone who is in the helping profession, you have to understand that if you're working through a, the lens that is given to you typically through training programs, you are perpetuating the system. Um, you are ensuring that you are just giving the folks that you're trying to support a means to personal power, but that's very different from systemic power. Um, and systemic power, that's a whole different conversation, but awareness around that is really important. So when I say to the best of my ability, because I'm, I'm still learning, I'm, I'm like a forever student.
0: As we all should be.
2: Yeah, to the best of my ability, when I say decolonized lens, it means that when I'm working with folks in the therapeutic space, there are going to be certain things that we just can't get over. You know, so when you look at the medical model, right, the medical model looks at the, the problem. So, OK, you go into a doctor's office, you have a cold. OK, let's look at the cold. The way that I think we should look at it is, you know, some of these problems are symptoms of a larger issue and our clients might not be able to make impact change and we have to recognize that and we have to be able to recognize the experiences that our clients are having um, because of the identities that they've been stamped with because of the structure of race and it's this idea of not just you know going by you know for therapists we have like our manual our holy grail this thing called the dsm
0: for those of you who aren't initiated that's the diagnostic statistics manual am i close there
2: Exactly. So even understanding that this manual that we're supposed to be operating from and trained from is completely racist, you know, um, you know, there were literally diagnoses back in the day that were only meant for black people and people of color and its history is rooted in the medical model and the medical model in this country is historically racist. (laughs) So, understanding, you know, how does what does that look like for someone that is having a mental health challenge and understanding the way that they want to look at themselves and label themselves and navigate that is extremely important for people who are therapists or social workers to understand. Um, trauma shows up different if you're a black person, if you're a Latino in this country, if you're a person of color. It shows up completely different. And it isn't always just, oh, you're anxious. No, maybe you have ingrained racial trauma and you are chronically in a state of anxiety because everywhere you turn there there's risk and your body is interpreting that and sending the messages to your mind that make you feel overwhelmed and uh can cause intrusive thoughts so when i say uh decolonize that that's what i mean like understanding that even the work that i do is coming from an extremely racist space you know therapy and all that started in europe um, the one that we operate from formerly in this country, you know, so understanding that is really important. And then when I say holistic, um, what I mean by that is pulling from the way that folks before the Western civilization is, you know, how we currently know it, how would they deal with things like that? That's important. Understanding the body, the body, mind connection, you know, and not just going to label you, yourself as having like ADD or ADHD, but can you look at it in a different way and understand it and it's beneficial. So it's less about diagnosing the problem, but understanding the person and all the different layers that go into it. Um, And and your experience, you know? So I I try to the best of my ability in therapy when I'm working with clients, there's certain stuff like, Oh, you're stressed at work. Yeah. Fucking capitalism.
0: (laughs) It isn't that you
2: don't have the capability to be productive. Like, you are ingrained with this value system. And what does that look like? And how is it bullshit? Like, let's talk about it. You know, you're not the issue. You're trying to fit a square peg into like a circle. And sometimes it just doesn't fit. And unfortunately, that's what we're working with. So how can we navigate it?
1: I, I was I'm curious, Do you, you know, as a person of color yourself, do you find uh, a different reaction from white clients than you do from, you know, another person of color that you might be working with?
2: You know, it's, it's interesting. So obviously, well, I shouldn't say obviously, because maybe it's not obvious. I do have white clients, right? I'm not like, oh, I don't work with white people. I do have white clients. But what I do, um, because I think it's important, uh, at least in the therapeutic space, because there's so much potential for harm for people, for me to be very transparent. So before I work with anyone, despite how they might identify race wise, I communicate to them, you know, this is part of my value system. I, I, come from a racially equi- equitable place. Um, I do operate in a very specific way. You know, I want you to feel have this information so you can feel empowered enough to make a decision of whether or not you feel this is the right fit for you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I do have white clients that they are, you know, they identify as allies and they really want to deconstruct um, systems and understand it. And, you know, that work will look one way. And then I do have white clients that, they think they want that but then when we get into the space you know i can identify like okay you're you're still kind of uncomfortable with what this looks like and i'm very aware of how i show up you know i'm a woman um i identify as latina and all these different things and what that might pull from them so it really varies um but i do see a difference um white people might not always be as comfortable (laughs) you
1: know (laughs) yeah
0: yeah that's that's fair um Wow. And uh, the whole, like, just what do we do before, um, you know, Western intervention and stuff, that's something I never really thought of. And, like, I have spoken before about, you know, even just the history of gynecology, uh, you know, being specifically, you know, done through the abuse and torture of enslaved individuals, black women specifically. Um, You know, because we are such a capitalist society now, like, all we really have time for, and barely have money for, in a lot of cases, are the band-aids. Like you, like you said, we'll change, we'll uh, tackle the cold by saying, "All right, take this, that, and the third, But we won't change behaviors. We won't change the way somebody lives their lives. And because of us constantly having to work, we can't change our lives. And that's why all we have are the band-aids. This is, you know, I never thought about it before you mentioned that, but it's like a terrible self-fulfilling prophecy. Like it's a cycle you can't get out of. Or that's what they want you to think. All right, that's what they want you to think. All of you at home, you're bad motherfuckers. All right, you take your own power. Um, I'm gonna have to post more pics of my hair so people don't cancel me.
1: I, I just one final note from me, real quick for for the film. I. I just want to say that I I am so happy that they did, you know, bring up socialism, communism, uh, Chairman Mao. You know, the fact that they did, you know, drop drop these names Che. I think in a in in such a you know a capitalist society for a film to be allowed to kind of. Put these things in, and, and and you know we've seen a ton of ads for it, so they're putting money into putting this movie out there, right? Um, I, I was I was pretty excited to see that, and I was pretty impressed by that. Uh, I feel like you don't you don't get to see that all that often, so that was pretty cool. And reviews are actually really good for this film. Uh, it, it's sitting at an 87 score right now, so um, it's it's being pretty well received.
0: All right, and uh, I did weed I did weed. I mean I did, but I did read one review uh, that that kind of shared their their um, their dissatisfaction with the fact that it, you know Fred isn't in the movie as much as let's say you know Bill or or the feds are and i was like right, oh, i right. guess you got a point um you know yeah, we de- but uh yeah we deserve yeah, that just film like he, next but <laughs> yeah we we definitely do deserve that film next and you know this is a great starting point i think you know for for to get that stuff back out in the in the in, in the zeitgeist and in the mainstream is important because you know, Hollywood was a big place for the Red Scare, and anyone who shared, you know, workers solidarity themes in their films, they were accused of being a communist. Like, mm-hmm. you know, there's a reason society doesn't want you to fucking know about it. It's because they don't want you to have that power. So, so People's think about power, that.
1: right? Where there's people, there's power. That's what, that's what Where there's Martin people,
0: said. there's power. That's that's beautiful. And I think, I think we'll we'll close it off on that. Monica, did you have any social media you wanted to be followed on, or would you rather not? we
2: have one but it's not good enough so i won't plug it
0: <laughs> that's imposter syndrome you got to decolonize your mind um it's not worth it because nobody listens to the show either oh my god
2: <laughs> shit
0: it's a crazy how similar we ended up being in some ways um but uh but yeah for for all you listeners at home thank you so much for listening always thanks to antonia chava for logo design next week we're going to be reviewing antebellum and we have another special guest that's right back to back special guests he actually worked on the movie Antebellum in, in post-production. So we're going to get his behind-the-scenes knowledge. Really looking forward to that. Thank you so much for listening. Leave us a rate and review if you get the chance. If you want to reach out to us, you can email us at politippopcast at gmail.com. Uh, our Instagram is shit. You can find us on Twitter at pod. Uh And most importantly, I stress this uh, so much, find our show notes and sources at politippoppodcast.wordpress.com. Don't just take our words for things. See what we back up and what facts we use. Uh, but thank you so much for listening, everybody. And Monica, once again, thank you for being on the podcast with us.
2: Thank you for
0: having me, Mikey. It has been our absolute pleasure for the Politipop podcast. I have been Mikey Booch.
2: Hey. Also, thanks to you too, <laughs> Ty. Sorry, I was just trying to bother my cousin.
0: Oh, that's okay. <laughs> I have been Ty. And remember, no matter what you're watching, what you're listening to, no matter what media you are taking in, never stop thinking, never stop learning because we are all, what did you call it before? Perpetual students?
2: Lifelong learners. Yep.
0: Lifelong learners. That's much better. Go. Never stop never stop learning because we are all lifelong learners. And always remember to read between the lines. And sing. Ah,
1: I like it.